0: What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape.
1: Good afternoon. My name is Aaron Strout, and I am the CMO of W2O and the host of the What to Know podcast show. And I am excited today to uh, bring you someone that I think you're going to really enjoy. Her name is Karen Grope, and she is the Senior Director of Strategic Communications at the Healthcare Information and Management Systems Society, which you might be saying, what is that? And then I'm going to say it's the long form of HIMSS, which everyone's like, ah, yes, I just didn't remember what HIMSS meant. So first of all, welcome, Karen. I'm really excited to have you on the show today.
0: Thanks for having me Erin. I'm excited to be here.
1: Well, I'm excited too, and uh, we were just chatting in our prep about the fact that we met at Health 2.0 a couple of years ago, and we are connected to this wonderful, amazing human being named Jane saracen khan who helped reconnect us and so jane if your ears are burning they should be because we were singing your praises but um why don't we start by doing this like i think a lot of the people listening in will know what hymns is there are some people that might be a little bit more hardcore you know pharma um, life sciences etc that may have heard the name but don't exactly know what it is so let's talk a little bit about what the organization is what it does it's global reach all those good things karen
0: um, we are the global advisor and thought leader supporting transformation of health globally. Um, we have offices around the world, London, Singapore, Berlin, Barcelona. Um, we're in emerging markets in Latin and South America, um, Saudi, EMEA, um, and then into Pac. HIMSS is based in Chicago, Illinois. Um, we have 400 employees we just crossed over the hundred thousand mark of members this week.
1: Congratulations.
0: Um, yeah. Thank you. And we're celebrating our 60th anniversary of this year. Amazing. That's exciting. Yeah, it, it is. We've we've been around. We really came out when the high tech act came out. And that's what really put us on the mark and where we saw explosive growth. We are known to the general public for our global conference. Uh, that's a popular 47,000 of our closest friends in a pre-pandemic world gathered together, um, and that's where we're known. Um, Governments come and make major announcements at that event. But for the rest of the year, uh, we do interoperability. We work on our standards. We run various nursing informatics programs. We do an extensive certification programs. We are your traditional association where it provides education, networking, um, and the members we serve are chief information officers. Every, everyone who's in that information technology space in the healthcare systems, that's where we are.
1: Well, it's a great summary. And again, yeah. I'm sure most people have heard of it, but it really is the gold standard when it comes to health IT and really has become synonymous with these other disciplines as well. I think when you bleed into digital therapeutics and digital health, right? Because it brings together all these people that think about these similar topics where things like standards and interoperability, especially when it comes to data, you know, come to exist. And, you know, we'll talk more about the event in a minute, but normally you have this amazing event in March. I think you pushed it back to August. So we'll talk about that. Fingers crossed we'll be in person this year. I do want to talk a little more about (laughs) you because I always love to hear how people ended up where they ended up. So you're leading (laughs) for this global organization. You have an interesting history, lots of different sort of parts. I can sort of logically see how it comes together, but um, what led you to this place of overseeing communications for this amazing organization?
0: Oh, at Hims. well, it's, blame it on Tom Leary, who's the Senior Vice President of Public Policy at HIMSS. Um, Tom hired me as a freelancer, I believe, seven years ago. Um, I had a small, little boutique PR communications firm that I was standing up, wanted to try the, I had an entrepreneurial itch and I wanted to see if it was going to work. Um, I then I needed some work and Tom Leary said to me, I've got a job here. It's just a little, little piece. And I'm like, what the heck is health IT and why do I want to be involved in it? But right. if you've met Tom Leary, you fall in love with him instantaneously based on his passion. Um, for the organization and for health information and technology. And that's what happened to me within a week. And I was hooked. Um, From there, my role evolved um, to a consultant, larger role as a consultant, um, while I was still nurturing my entrepreneurial itch on the other side. Um, But like any entrepreneur, you have that moment where you're like, I'm really tired, and I want somebody else to go worry about my bills and everything like that. And I was spending more and more time with him and they said, Well, why don't you come? Um, work full time. And that's here I am now. I don't know if so. I guess if you want to blame anybody, we blame Tom Leary for my start at HIMS, but he's that's how we start. Just well, I'll thank you. him for
1: that. And, and the nice yeah. thing is we've really <laughs> been able to grow up through, you know, what is healthcare IT and this whole concept of digital health, because you know, there are some people that are OGers, right? And so yeah, yeah. Um, I know we got interested in this space several years ago. So that may seem like that's not that far, you know, not that long ago, but that was really sort of a pivotal point where people started to embrace it and saw the the you know future and that it was going to have such a profound impact on the industry. I do want to take a step sideways. And so whenever I'm doing research with my guests, I do like to look on LinkedIn and poke around the interwebs. And this is actually a good one. And it was something that you said that is fairly profound. And I'm doing this, I guess, for the sake of the pandemic and to also showcase who you are a little bit. And that is that on LinkedIn, you shared a quote from Stephen Covey, who I think a lot of people know. Yeah. And it really says a tremendous amount about society today. And that is, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. Now, one of the things I've learned in podcasting over 13 years, I used to be horrible at this because I only wanted to read my questions and get through and not respond to the guest's answers, right? So I'm guilty as charged on this. But uh, tell us why you posted this and how do you listen with the intent to understand?
0: Well, I posted it for a couple of reasons. Um, We started telling our story about Hymns 21 this week um introducing the idea that there will be many paths um moving forward whether it's a digital hybrid in person and i was i'm always surprised at when our organization makes announcements the kickback that we get of i hate those people or there's just such a passionate reaction to our announcements and I always thought, I always think to myself, and I always want to say it, but I can't. Every side has more, so many more layers. And if you listened, it will eventually reveal itself, and there will be some understanding to it. The first message you hear might not be the full picture. Um, I think it's kind of with our world that we live into. A message goes out, whether it's from the government, society in general, and people just want to react to it right away with anger, hate some kind of passion. Um, What I've learned over the last year in a pandemic and going through a Black Swan event like Kim's 20, you've got to be patient. You have to be empathetic. You need to understand. You need to listen to the message. Hold back the reaction. And I'm very guilty of this, like how you talked about with your pod. I want to race through the podcast questions. I have my iPad sitting right here and I'm like, well, let's just get to my answers, Erin. But let it reveal itself. So. That was my, what I posted this week was a little encouragement to the reporters that I work with, Of, you know, please don't beat me up (laughs) Um, and, and listen and try to understand what we're trying to do as an organization. Cause there is a story there as well.
1: Well, I think whether you meant it or not, you just gave us a lot of wisdom for how we should be behaving in society. Right. And you alluded to that. So not by mistake, but I think that context is so important, right? And, and being willing to cut people some slack, understanding that we live in a gray world, not a black and white world, right. all really important. But you started to touch on something that I think is really important. And that is that, you know, we hear it and it feels like maybe it's a little contrived, but that in the world of communications in particular, storytelling is a very important role. I would argue that some people are better at it than others. And based on my experiences with you, I feel like you do a nice job. Thank you. Um, But as we were prepping for this, you know, you talked a lot about the role of a storyteller and the responsibilities that come with that role as a storyteller. Let's start there and talk a little bit about that.
0: I think when you're put in a position or asked to lead messaging for an organization, there's a lot of responsibility. And we see it, we seen it across society in different places but it's it's the responsibility to be accurate and fair um, and and honest with your messaging and it because people are making decisions off of what you are telling them. Um, so that's one thing that I think the role of a storyteller has to do is is be honest and transparent as much as they can and say that. Um, I know in my day-to-day job, I'll tell reporters they'll, they'll want something, I'm like, I don't have that information right now. A lot of times storytellers will be like, well, yeah, good question. You know, let me you know pontificate over here. That's not my job. My job is to give accurate information um, so people can make their decisions off of what I'm providing them. Uh, but then on the other hand, storytellers have the responsibility to have what I learned over the last year, thick skin and not react. Um, as a storyteller, people get upset with perhaps the story you're telling them or sharing with them. And at times, and anyone who knows me knows I wear my emotions on my sleeve. It's a chance not to fire back or, you know, some kind of snarky, sarcastic response, because it's not about you. It's about the story. Um, so that's, that's the big lessons that I've learned over the last year. Um, and then watching too, you know, watching my colleagues and friends who are in high profile jobs and I've seen that some of them soar and I've seen some of them fail. Um, but it's, it's a big responsibility. Um, we take it for granted. Yeah. You know, everyone thinks that person who's telling the story is put some good lipstick on and a nice hairdo. And uh, it's a big, <laughs> big burden. Some days to carry.
1: Right. No, those are all good points. And you do need to understand, you know, what the end is that you're trying to get to. Right. Uh, like you said, all those things, the honesty and integrity and transparency, but also being engaging. Right. And so right. this is a nice transition to the next one, because this next story, I think, is going to be engaging. Probably will bring back a little PTSD for you. But you did say that you're op- uh, open to I'm talking
0: about it. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so you mentioned, you know, hymns 20 um it was a black swan event. It was a, it was a bad for everybody. Right. So okay. just to rewind uh, the pandemic started to hit in the United States right around mid-March uh, uh-huh. there were a few different events, South by Southwest being one of them, hymns being another. And, you know, you mentioned that it was not a light decision to decide to cancel it, right. Or postpone it. And that once you did do this, how angry people were with you (laughs) and the organization. And what makes me sad, although I guess I can see it, and it's a little bit what we've come to as a society, death threats, right? And so share a little bit about that. And again, I apologize for the PTSD on this
0: No, it's, now I've got, it's almost a year that we've started messaging around it. February 14th was our first public message around uh, COVID-19. We saw it coming. Um, we weren't like everybody in February of, of 2020, we weren't sure what it was, where, how it was coming. So we were making decisions to, you know, certain countries were not going to be able to travel in. Um, We were making those decisions with, with an informed medical team supporting us as we were making those decisions. Um, And every year HIMSS as an organization extends an invitation to the White House, to the current administration to participate. Um, It is something we've done forever. Um, We've had past presidents join us at conference um, as a past president. Um, This year in 2020, we received an acceptance letter from President Trump, which take the political nature out of it um, it was a big deal to have a sitting president yeah. come speak at your conference. We were that concept that what we were saying and the members who were in the audience were that important to the administration. I think that's something the community should celebrate no matter what side of the fence you were on. Yep. So that being said, as conferences coming closer and closer, now we're towards the end of February and it, it is now not looking promising. Um, some of our major exhibitors have making corporate decisions that are right for their organizations that they are now leaving. They then in turn are sharing this news with the press. So every day there was on Twitter, so-and-so is leaving this conference or so, you know, and I, no one would talk to me or say, hey, or these reporters would even say to me and that's they've got to do their job. So I get that part. So protocol to fast forward. So now we, now we know it's an issue. Stress levels are high, people aren't sleeping, staff is getting nervous. And then it's one week before conference. And protocol, when you have a sitting president of the United States, is they announce one week before they speak. And with that announcement, in comes a presidential advance team that handles the, the president's press, the pools, staffing, everything. It turns, you kind of lose control over that event, part of the event. So that Monday, we were on the phone with the White House and they're like, great, we're making the announcement today. We'll probably put it out around noon. Well, at that time, we weren't sure what was going on. We're like, could you maybe wait? Like, and I asked, I'm like, could you wait like a couple of hours? Because I wanted to inform, we wanted to work with the teams that we were working with back at Hims of, hey, what do we, you know? And they said, sure, no problem. And then an hour later, Bloomberg posted confirmed report that Trump is to speak at Hims 20. I'm like, uh. and, and then it went like wildfire. I mean, it just exploded. So we had to do a gaggle and say with the press that we were doing it. Uh, one thing about being the storyteller for an organization like Hims on those press releases that go out, your name and your phone number are on the press releases so that afternoon after we went public with the statement that trump was scheduled to speak um my phone blew up i had i hope you get coronavirus and die these are people calling me (laughs) and i I don't know at this time i'm in crisis mode so i'm answering every phone call not knowing what right and it's i hope you get coronavirus and die you're a pure hack (laughs) um and the one that really broke my heart—I—I I got several of them, "Hope you get hope die," um, "You should be ashamed of yourself," and then somebody called me and said, "I hope your father is ashamed of you." <sighs> I was like, "Why are we bringing in my dad?" <laughs> you know, you I, love he, I know no. he's, hes not coming.
1: Um, well, I that, think Karen just—just just to jump in based on your earlier comments. I get that he was a polarizing figure, but you are a non-political organization. And I think the context of you invite the sitting president every year year to come speak. And it was a little bit of a surprise. This one decided that they wanted to. And again, for, you know, good bout of the ugly, there was the element of he saw that this was an important enough initiative to take the time. And that's actually, I mean, I, I... I hadn't thought of it in that way, but to know that he actually cared that much about health IT, you know, not that that makes him a good guy, but that helps better understand where his priorities the, were. So. It's
0: the understanding of the story.
1: That's right. That's
0: you right. know, it's the understanding of the story. And, you know, so we had a couple audiences now that we were dealing with at that time. I personally was now crying. <laughs> I had the Orlando Press now calling me who I don't, didn't have a relationship with um, because now they're thinking, this virus is coming. What's going to happen? And now the president's coming. Great. I had staff who it was again, a polarizing president was coming to speak at the event. Um, and then I had staff, uh, press that were just furious at me. And then I had a handful of people calling to ask if they could get front row tickets to the president's speech. Um, and then meanwhile, for a PR person, your dream comes true because you have a cage, not a cage, they call it a cage, where the national press is at your event. And it wasn't like 10 of them. It was like 45 national press were coming to cover the president's speech, but were also interested in what we had to say as an organization. So that, it was, it was just a stress ball situation and then the press became angrier and angrier with responses that we didn't have so i actually put the when the woman called in and told me who said i hope your father's embarrassed of you which i still to this day was like i put a picture of my dad up on twitter with me and i said well here he is for those of you because i needed people to back off i needed some space and i went for the empathetic route like this is my dad for the, for the caller who said, they hope my dad's ashamed of me. Well, here he is. Let me know if you'd like to talk to him. And then the reporters saw it. And then it became a human side. Like, this is nuts. You, you know. So it settled down. And I did that strategically because I needed to s- create some empathy around the reporters. And I also knew I was going to lose it just because of the amount of calls coming in and the, and the pressure. So that Wednesday came and we made the decision to cancel. Um, we were It was a forced action we needed to take. There was no way we could do it well. Um, there was no way we could do it safely. And it was too great of a risk. Um, we also knew testing capacity in Orlando was not even, I don't think they had any testing
1: in no Orlando. No one did at that point, really. Yeah. No though. one did.
0: So how irresponsible would it be for us to bring 45,000 people in? So I called over with, tom leary over to the white house because he said tom this is you need to maintain that relationship we need to message Joel. so as we're making this the presidential advance team is in orlando and now they're knocking on the door of the meeting services team while tom and i are on the phone with the white house and it was march 2nd i believe march yeah march 2nd i think it was mick mulvaney's last day um at the white house that i know um so we called, we said, listen, we're going to take the action that we're going to be, you know, we're not holding this event. And they're like, we've heard. I'm like, oh
1: my God.
0: They're like, you need people to talk know to know the- all these things
1: before I know them, right? I
0: know. And I was like, meanwhile, the advance team is like knocking down the door because they're seeing people move in and move out. Literally people rolled in crates. They kind of like checked in with corporate like we're here. They're like, no, you're coming home now. So yeah. it was all of that. And we got finally passed through to the communications team and my worst nightmare, and I joked with my staff about this, was going to be at Karen D. Gropey on Twitter. You suck at, you know, real Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, Thanks for ruining my day. That's how I, I just had nightmares. That was going to be the tweet. Um, so we had a very candid conversation with the storytellers at the White House um, and said, we're not going public with we're not mentioning the president's name anymore um we ask that you don't mention our name anymore um this is not a this is not a political decision this is a safety decision and they're like okay and if you notice the president never mentioned the him's name that friday when he went down to cdc somebody yelled at them i yelled at him one of the reporters from pool yelled at him what about the events that canceled next week in florida and he said i told him it was okay um Cause not only did they have the hymns event, then he had a fundraiser that night. Gotcha. So we made it out without him, without getting into that dialogue. Um, and it was handled in a very respectful manner um, at the administration level, uh, a professional level. Um, but it was, it was intense. So then once we had solved for that, now we're communicating out with our attendees. And then we have a whole nother audience of what's going on in Orlando right. and So our attendees are unsure, but the city of Orlando now knows that this virus is coming. People, It's serious. People are canceling their lifelines and they want some answers too. So we spent a lot of time talking to the press about our decision um, because you could hear the panic with them of what's going to happen to our city, what's going to happen to our industry because now we see all these events canceling. Um, So that was, it was intense. I think I did... 25 interviews in a 24-hour period in Orlando and with trade press. Um, somebody jokingly said in Orlando, we had staff in Orlando. And they said, I turned on the TV one day and I heard your voice. I didn't see you. And I'm like, that's because I was past that on the couch doing press interviews at 10 o'clock at night. Because I wanted to give them the story um, as much as we could. So that was kind of a long-winded adventure. Well, but- it was,
1: but I mean, it's an amazing story. I mean, you handle it as gracefully as you could. And I have a little bit of PTSD just listening to you recount that because, I mean, it was stressful for us around South by Southwest and it wasn't our event, although we do things there and we did not have the president attending. And so thank you for sharing that story. That's crazy. I will shift gears to something a little more positive and then we'll wrap up because I know okay. we're short on time here, but looking into 2021 right, uh, in your crystal ball, what do you see in the health IT space that you have unique insights into? Obviously, your event is going to be happening, but any changes, any trends, any interesting developments that uh, you'd like to touch on?
0: Well, event-wise, I can tell you, we will extend the invitation to the White House to participate this year. (laughs) Um, It might be a little busy, but that invitation will go out as well. Um, I think the one thing the pandemic's taught us in terms of looking into 21 is the patient you know, listen to the, listen to the patient, understand the patient of how they want to engage with their health. Um, and how do you do that? What's the best technology? Not everyone's comfortable with technology. And then I think the other thing is we all need to begin to have conversations about understanding how tech information and technology can begin to bridge equity gaps, um, and how health is delivered and, served. Um, I look at some of the the communities with the with the vaccine. we see it on the news that these some of these communities just won't be able to get the vaccine anytime soon. Information and technology can help. So maybe it's time that we look a little bit beyond just doctors and such and understand the role of what health information technology can do to improve to improve society.
1: yeah, I, I love that answer more than you can imagine, Karen, because you, who could have geeked out and given us the most technology, you know, centric answer, started with where it is most important, and that is with the patient and the healthcare, you know, the inequities in healthcare. So thank you for shining a light on that. And that's such a critical way to phrase or to look at that through a lens.
0: I think our pal Jane said we're all patients.
1: We we all are. We, we all are. And and Jane keeps us grounded. <laughs> uh, I do want to go to two fun questions or more fun questions. One yeah. is. I'm asking all my interviewees this, my guess, you have one wish you do anything you want to. Don't worry about how this works. What would your wish be and why?
0: So one of the things is I'm an, I say that I'm an occasional pushy PR person and an awesome auntie and I'm the auntie to a 14 year old little boy or big boy and an 11 year old darling little girl. Um, And my wish is that I get to see how they make the, I hope I am able to see them make the world a better place. They've grown up in a crazy world. They've gone through a pandemic. They've seen unrest. What are they going to do with all this information to make it better? Um, What are they going to learn from us? And I hope I get to see them, what they'll do. They are are gentle souls, old souls, but I want to see how they're going to process all of this and make the world better. That's what I wish for. I, I can see why you really
1: and Jane are such good friends. That's such yeah, a I, thoughtful I wish answer. to see that, yeah. yeah. Well, they're, really, they're really awesome.
0: <laughs> and they need to take care of me when I'm old. There's <laughs> <laughs> the pragmatic side of it, yeah, yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, last question. Hopefully this one is truly fun. And that is, you're on a deserted island, right? Maybe less fun, but um, it's warm, right? You can get some sun and it's COVID free. You can take one album with you. Which album would you pick?
0: Earth, Wind & Fire, Greatest Hits.
1: I love it. That was, yeah. uh, you, you knew that, like that was. Oh yeah. Certainty, no hemming or hawing or anything like that.
0: Been jamming out to it since I was a teenager.
1: <laughs> well, great choice. And uh, my, my wife is a huge earth, wind and fire uh, fan. With that, I will wrap us up. So this is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O, host of the What's Know podcast show. I've had the pleasure of sharing the last 30 minutes with Karen Gropey, Senior Director of Strategic Communications at Hims. Karen, thank you so much. And thanks for being such a real person and sharing your storytelling. Such an amazing anecdote. You know, again, PTSD, filled, But you <laughs> come through thanks. it safely and, and uh, wishing for a great event this year and a great series of uh, interacting with your, your community.
0: Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for the opportunity. I enjoyed it.
1: Of course. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at whtwillgroup.com what to know.